Good morning. So you're like, yeah, right, Pastor Mike, 17 verses. <laughs> well, let me give a stab at it. And on top of that, we're taking the Lord's Supper today, right? So everybody in the room's like, yeah, right, it's going to be a long one today. <laughs> Just want to remind you of those great trips of, that I've taken to Myanmar and some of these other places where they say, preach as long as you want, it's okay. And they sit there for hours taking notes, so... Y'all hang in there. It's going to be a fun one today. I, I've got to get the big picture for you, and if I have to pick back up next week, I will, but I wanted you to see the big context. The author's purpose for including specific details in a narrative like this are very important. It's extremely important. Matthew grouped events in Jesus' ministry together to make a point. Matthew may have different details on some of these events compared to the other gospel accounts like Luke and John and Mark. There'll be differences. But Matthew also doesn't uh, always give the same order of events. So as you're going through the gospels, you'll say, well, why did that happen before this in Luke's account? And then in Mark's account, it's reversed. And then in Matthew's, it's not even mentioned. Why do they do this? Well, every piece of the evidence is meticulously chosen under the divine work of the Holy Spirit by each author to present a message, to give a purpose. And in this case, Matthew is making a main point. Matthew is giving proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one that we should trust in. The Jews, this would be almost like a, a Jewish track to tell them, okay, this is your Messiah, trust in him. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount revealed a stark contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. We saw that as we did the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke as one having authority. Now today we're going to see Jesus did miracles as one having authority. But there is a key verse and it is found in verse 17. And that's why I wanted us to read all the way down there. Look at verse 17. In verse 17 we see Matthew is speaking. And he gives a summary of the miracles. And why Jesus did what he did. Notice in verse 17 it states, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Wait a second. This is Matthew's commentary on Jesus' miracles. And in this section it is a crucial verse. He tells, Matthew tells, why Jesus did these miracles of healing. To fulfill what was prophesied about him in Scripture. I want to explain this verse before we even get started. Because it's the heart of the entire passage. If you don't understand this verse, you're really not going to get the whole picture. So I believe that this is a crucial verse. 
And I don't want to leave it till the end because I might not finish and then we'd be in a jam. You need to have this context in order for you to get the whole point. This verse is often used incorrectly by faith healers. Those like Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, Peter Poffoff, and all those on TBN. However, they misuse the author's intent of this passage. And it's an abuse of the overall purpose of Jesus' miracles. And it actually misses the whole point of the passage. Now again, look at this verse. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Matthew says, the miracles by Jesus were to fulfill what Jesus had done, was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Then the verse is quoted. Now, beloved, I'm, I, you're going to have to pay really close attention today because this was one that I grappled with all week, and it was not easy. I thought about this, and I want you to think on it. This is from, this is a quote from the Old Testament passage that we read in our Old Testament reading, right? Isaiah 52 down through Isaiah 53. Let's look over there again. Go back to Isaiah 52 and 53. Let's go back over there for a second. You got to have the context. You got to understand what's going on or you're going to miss the whole point. Remember, Matthew is writing to Jews. He's talking to them and giving proof of Old Testament that he is the Old Testament promised Messiah. The Messiah that was promised. In Isaiah 52, we saw in 52, 13, who has believed our message? Or rather, this is 53.1. Just start there. 53.1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should all be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs, can be translated sicknesses, he himself bore. And our sorrows, or pains, he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. We'll stop there. This is an amazing picture of Jesus, isn't it? It was written 700 years before. And he talks about in great detail of the suffering servant that was to come. This passage is very clearly describing what was going to happen with Jesus, right? That he was going to come and he was going to be an atoning sacrifice for his people. Yet this is the verse that Matthew references, one of these verses, 
verse 4, he references in Matthew chapter 8 after the healings. So it gets a little confusing. It was a prophetic glimpse of the Savior that he was going to sacrifice and be a sacrifice and die. It was obviously focused on his substitutionary atonement for his people. Now Matthew references this passage in a description about Jesus' miraculous works of healing. The difficulty is this. In verse 4 of Isaiah 53, the section is obviously talking about the results of Christ's atoning work for his people. From 4 to 6, that section is actually the heart of the servant song that's talking about his death in order to heal us, what? Spiritually, that we are going to be right with God through what Christ was going to do. It was especially about the sacrificial atonement. It is saying, he will do miracles to heal us. He will do a miracle. He will die, and therefore we will be healed. It's saying his atoning work will provide final relief from the effects of the curse, like sickness and grief. So now turn back to Matthew chapter 8. Did Matthew miss the point? Did Matthew miss the point? It's a very difficult thing. You think, okay, well, he's not really talking about physical healing, is he? Or is he? Is he talking about the atonement of Christ? Is that the main point in Isaiah 53? Yes, that Jesus would die. But then Matthew says that this was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities, our sicknesses, and carried away our diseases, our pains. Remember, it's not a misinterpretation. Matthew is writing with a big picture in mind, and this is very important. When he quoted this verse, he had all of Isaiah 53 in mind. He speaks of it and says this one thing, and it would, for a Jew, scream, Isaiah 53. All of it. The suffering servant. That's what's in mind. Matthew was writing after Jesus had died and rose from the dead, too. He's writing Matthew 8 and describing what? Events in the past. Jesus has already what? Died and rose from the dead. And he's given a summary and saying, look, all these events, this is all about the fulfillment of Jesus who was going to die and rise from the dead and provide life in him. So Jesus did healing miracles. What did they reveal? They revealed that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of Isaiah 53. That he was the only one that could provide these kind of things. He was the one who would provide the relief from the effects of sin and curse through his sacrificial death. So in other words, Matthew still has all of this. He has that his death's coming when he's talking in Isaiah or in Matthew chapter 8 verse 17. He has the whole picture. As one commentator stated, Jesus died to bear the guilt and curse of sin. This means Jesus took our infirmities, all of the effects of living in a cursed world upon himself at the cross. He died on the cross to take away both 
spiritual death and physical death. He has provided physical and spiritual healing for his own people through his atoning death. So Matthew looks at these healings and sees Jesus as fulfilling a preview work, a preview work of what Jesus was going to accomplish at the cross. Jesus was revealing he was the suffering servant as he healed these people. He is the Messiah of Israel who is going to die, rise from the dead, and provide a kingdom to come. He was showing he was the Isaiah 53 suffering servant. You might ask, wait, why didn't the healings keep going after Jesus' death and resurrection? You might ask that question. Well, didn't he die? Didn't he rise from the dead? Didn't this happen? Yes, the apostles did do some miracles. A few raising of the dead and some people were healed. But let's be honest. Do we see people raised from the dead today? No. Where are these healings? We even have Christian organizations that have helped with hospitals. Why have hospitals? Just heal them. Right? Why didn't it keep going on? On top of this, every single, listen closely, every single person Jesus healed at his first coming died. They died. Wait! It was a temporary healing. Lazarus, poor dude. Had to die twice. (laughs) So how was Jesus fulfilling Isaiah 53 if even after Jesus died and rose from the dead, sicknesses, grief, pain, and everything else continued to exist? This is extremely important. Jesus' healings were temporary Because his kingdom had not yet been established here on earth. He is the king. And he has the power and the ability. And he was going to die to make it possible for people to be healed. But it was just a glimpse of the glory to come. Just a small glimpse of the glory to come. He is the king. But he hasn't provided final redemption that's talked about in Romans chapter 8 yet. We are still in these bodies of death, aren't we? King Jesus has come and He is the King that can heal. He is the one that has provided redemption and glory for His children. He is the all-powerful Messianic King who revealed His kingdom work when He was here. But He Still in heaven, beloved. Glorification has not yet happened. When we die, we are spiritually glorified, yes. But even our own bodies are not resurrected. Where are they? They're placed in a grave until his return or other things. The work of the cross, however, guarantees that one day our bodies will be resurrected. 
One day, there will be a final redemption. But as Matthew writes, and as he's writing Matthew chapter 8, he's calling the readers to trust in Jesus. He's not saying, trust in Jesus and you're going to get healed right today, like the faith healers say. You know, I was thinking about this. We have several people in our, in our church that have some sicknesses and illnesses. We have some in our church, some family members, that are facing the real possibility that death is very soon. That's grieving, isn't it? It's sad. And I wish I could just say, hey, you're healed. But that's not what God calls us to do in light of Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 8. He calls us to trust in the one who will have final healing, which is in the kingdom to come, which is in glory. Here's good news. Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. He's the one that will provide final healing for us all. Listen, friends. This means we must have an eternal perspective. We must believe Jesus is the great Savior and the healing healer. And one day He will glorify us and make us new. We will depart these bodies of death and put on incorruptible. The last enemy of death will be destroyed. Death is going to be go, will go away. Because Christ came into the world. He was the fulfillment of the messianic promises. And he is alive today. And he will return. We must not twist the healing passages of the Bible into the faith healer's lies. The ones that say your faith isn't strong enough to heal you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Have you ever heard of these people? I'll list some names. A.A. A. Allen, Oral Roberts, Willard Fuller, Tommy Lee Osborne, Carrie Montgomery. Anybody heard of some of those? You know what they are? Dead faith healers. End of story. The final glorification of our bodies doesn't happen until heaven and afterwards when we are resurrected and given new lives and new bodies. So what's Matthew saying? He's saying to the believers, the disciples, those that he's calling to repent and believe in Jesus, he's our hope. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one of Isaiah 53. He was the one that would die and rise from the dead. He's the one that can give real life. He's the one that will provide resurrected bodies eventually. He's the one that will establish his kingdom forever. He's King Jesus. Trust in him. That's what he's saying. So all of these miracles were not these miracles to get us to somehow think, well, this means if I just have enough faith, I'm going to get healed of my cancer. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, trust in Jesus. He's the Messiah that has a future eternal hope. That's what he's saying. That's why he quotes the cross passage of Isaiah 53. Pointing to the, res the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. 
these miracles of Jesus show something very important. He is the one who died to atone for sin and thus provide guaranteed final glory if we will trust him. Jesus fulfilled all that Isaiah 53 was about. And his ministry on earth proved he was the one who could guarantee this. So when he does these miracles, what's really cool, he's doing these miracles, and at the time, the people there were going, wow, he's doing miracles. This guy is something special. He must be the Messiah. They should have gone, oh, that means he's going to die. Oh, he's going to be Isaiah 53. They should have got it. But how well did they do? Not very well. They missed it. He's doing these miracles. They should have gone, wow. But if you look at Isaiah 53, it says, who will believe our report? There's an implication that the Jews, what? Didn't believe. They didn't embrace it. They didn't embrace him. Matthew wrote about a group of miracles that Jesus performed in order to convince the reader Jesus is the omnipotent, messianic king of Israel. We should trust in him. That's what they were saying. That's what he's saying. So now you got the context. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. That was the introduction, but you've got to have it or you won't understand it. Does that make sense? Context, context, context. The key thing is context. Now, there's some reoccurring themes that run down through this section on Jesus' miracles that I want to briefly examine. And they reveal who Jesus is in classic fashion. We're going to get a glimpse of him. Let's look at a few of them, first of all. This, these reoccurring themes. First, Jesus is an omnipotent. Jesus is omnipotent. The word omnipotent means all-powerful. Some say omnipotent. These miracles obviously reveal Jesus is almighty. We can't deny that when we read these passages, can we? Jesus is a healer, and he heals a leper. Look in verse 3. He heals the leper. And it wasn't one of these, well... Take two aspirins and call me in the morning and you'll get a little better. <laughs> it'll, happen, it'll happen progressively. It'll happen as time goes along. It wasn't that kind of healing. By the way, God does work providentially through all these things to bring about healing today. I admit that. I know he does. But there aren't many of these. <laughs> this is rare. If ever. Look at verse 3. And immediately... Leprosy was cleansed. That's all-powerful. Immediately. Cleansed. How about verse 13? But Jesus heals the centurion's servant who was miles away. Again, hospitals are filled with followers of Jesus, aren't there? And... The graveyard right around the corner over there is probably filled with Christians. But Jesus speaks 
And this centurion's servant is healed immediately. And he's not even there. He's not next to him. He's not touching him. Notice verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion. Jesus said to the centurion. Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. That's cool. That's all powerful, isn't he? He's here and he says, hey, he's done. You got it. He's healed. And this is nothing like, by the way, those faith healers that you're looking at the screen. I see you out there watching this screen. I'm going to pray right now that God will heal you. Give 1-800. I want your money. Go. It shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Notice also, verse 15, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. There's no recovery period. Boom! Fever's gone. I don't know about you guys. Last time I had a fever, how about you? I was miserable, and it took a little while to get over it, right? Immediately, he touches her, boom, fever's gone, she feels better, she feels so much better that she gets up and what? Serves him. And then in verse 16, Jesus freed demon-possessed and healed all who were ill. This is our all-powerful Savior, (laughs) He's able to heal the impossible disease of leprosy. He's able to heal from a distance with just one word. It's done. He's able to eliminate a fever with a touch. He's able to free demon possessed with a word, as it says in verse 16. What do we do with this information, beloved? What do we do? Well, here's what you should do. Turn and trust him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. He is the all-powerful Savior and Lord. Should we take passages like this and expect Him to heal us? No, I don't think. That's what it's saying. It says we should trust in Him. Could He heal us? Should we pray for healing? Sure. But ultimately we should do what? Trust Him whether He heals us or not. We should trust Him. It's about trusting Him more than about what I get. It's more about who Christ is in the miracles than about the miracle itself, if that makes sense. So, if we have an illness... Does this guarantee we will not die? No. And yes. What? Oh, it's a guarantee. That if our body dies, our spirit will be with him in heaven and glory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there is a guarantee my body will be resurrected one day. Why? 
Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me and you. And we do have a hope in eternity, don't we? And we know that these bodies that are wasting away and dying will one day be redeemed fully. We will have glorified bodies. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world and he fulfilled all that Isaiah said. Now what does this mean? This means we must have more of an eternal focus and perspective on things of this world. Because if we're all about here and now and how we feel and what we have now, we are in for a jam. It's going to be a hard life, beloved. If you live for everything now, you're in trouble. We must trust in Jesus. This is not our home. This is not the kingdom. I am going to be in glory one day, and we are going to enjoy him forever. And that is good hope. That's good news. He is all-powerful and able to bring us to final glory. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's all-powerful. We know he's all-powerful, don't we? He healed the leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He cast out demons. He's all-powerful. We must trust, just like the leper, just like the centurion, and those who came to seek him for healing. We must trust that whether we are healed now or later, Jesus is able And his atoning work guarantees one day we will be finally healed. That's the point of the whole passage. Notice the second thing. Jesus is the authority. We see it all the way through. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, the events of the miracles revealed Jesus was the authority. He was the Lord. He was and is and will always be Lord He is the king to be served and honored. Notice the emphasis here. Look at the leper in verse 2. In verse 2. And the leper does, look at what the leper does and and says to Jesus in verse 2. And the leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a man who gets it. (laughs) He gets it, doesn't he? He bows before Jesus and calls him Lord. He understands Jesus is the authority who can heal him. He understands that whether he heals, whether he's healed or not, is totally in Jesus' sovereign hands. He's the Lord. He's God. He heals who he wants, and he doesn't heal who he doesn't want. And Jesus affirms, at this point, I am willing be clean. The second miracle. Look at it. The emphasis on the authority of Jesus is mentioned again in verses 5 to 9. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, a Gentile, a Gentile, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. I love this. This is great. But the centurion said, Lord, 
I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does this. Guess what this was? This was a Roman military leader who gets it. He understands who Jesus is. He acknowledged Jesus has the authority to just speak and have the servant healed. He also says that he is, isn't even worthy to have Jesus come into his house. This humility reflects what? Jesus is Lord. He's the king. And he's the one I should submit to. You know, the way we respond reveals a lot about Jesus. If we're humble like him, we say he's Lord. We show that he's Lord. That's what's happening here. Finally, Jesus shows he has authority over the demonic realm. He casts out demons in verse 16. Influence. And he does it with one word. With a word. The same authoritative word that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus has all authority. He is Lord. He is worthy of all of our worship and praise. He deserves our honor and respect. He is over all the spiritual forces in heavenly places. He is God incarnate. So the question for all of us, this is who Jesus is. Are we submissive to him? Are we humble to Him? Do we bow and implore Him? Do we seek Him? Do we know Him? Remember what was just said in the previous section. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Just because you call someone Lord does not mean that your heart is in it. He is Lord. Do we submit to Him? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Notice the next theme. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. This is wonderful. This is amazing. Look at this. The whole thing builds in this whole passage. This is glorious truth. So where else is this fulfillment of Scriptures... Prophesying of Jesus the Messiah found in 8, 1 to 17. Well, we saw it in the last verse, didn't we? In verse 17, we saw it for sure there. But it's subtly pointed to throughout this whole section. In every one of the miracles, it's alluded to again. Look at it. First, in the healing of the leper. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priests, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What in the world is this? Why tell no one? That's always been one of those battles in my mind. Why tell no one? Tell everybody. Jesus healed him. Tell no one. I believe he's saying, look, you go obey the law. 
do exactly what you're supposed to do. And the priority is, healed lepers go to who? The priest. Why? Because that's what the law said to do. Jesus was telling this man to go to the priest so they could see that something that had never happened had happened. What? Do you understand, beloved? Leprosy was an incurable disease at that time. No one was cured of this. It was impossible to be cured from leprosy. Think about the situation. Leprosy was a disease that was incurable for thousands of years. It was a part of the what? Curse. People didn't get healed of this unless there was a miracle. There was one time in the Old Testament a leper was healed. But there was rules in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 14 specifically, for dealing with people that were healed of leprosy. There were all kinds of stipulations. When it happened, the guy should be out. You should take, make one sacrifice, wait for a little bit, see if it's real. If it's real, then have a party. <laughs> really sacrifice another animal, another offering. It was an offering of praise. Now think about this deeper. The priests of Jesus' day would have memorized the requirements of the law. They would have had them memorized. But they had never done this. They had never done Leviticus 14. They had never seen anybody that really had it healed, healed. They had never made these. It would have been like the law everyone even probably mocked. Oh, yeah, I got that one law memorized, but I don't use that one. I don't do that one. Have you ever made that? No, I've never made that, Zacharias. Yeah, right. When will we perform that sacrifice? That one's never going to happen. But then Jesus heals a leper. Think about this for a second. The Levitical priesthood should have just broken out in worship immediately when the guy walked through the door. What? That law? Oh, let's get our Bibles. Let's read this again. Okay, so, okay, you got to be out here for seven days, and then you're really healed. I, you're really healed. Who did this? The Messiah. King Jesus, the one, the Lord. The one that was willing to heal me. He did it. The leper knew that Jesus was Lord. The leper knew that he could heal him. Who needed to know? The priests. They should have been doing what when they heard this news? They should have pulled out the trumpets and said, Oh, this is the one! This is the one. But instead, what happened? They screamed, crucify him. Crucify him. I've often heard people say, man, if I could just 
see a miracle, then maybe I'd believe. No. No. The heart is so wretched, so wicked, that seeing miracles will not convert a soul. No amount of evidence, but believe it, beloved, believe it, beloved, is going to convert the soul without a miracle from God to open the heart to embrace this truth. It should have been a great giant flashlight. Someone who can heal this dreaded impossible disease is here. It's got to be the Messiah. Finally, look, Jesus was announcing his arrival and the miracles. Notice in verse 10 and 12, there's one more. After Jesus heals, he points the Gentile centurion coming to him in faith for healing. Look at it, verse 10. This is amazing. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you. Now, everybody's following. Great crowd, right? Jesus says this, Truly, listen up, pay attention. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Uh-oh, uh-oh. That's a... That's a red flag, isn't it? That is. That's a red flag. Why aren't we believing? <laughs> Why is this guy that's outside of Israel believing and has greater faith than we who are God's people? Why? I say to you, that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, who's that? Many of Israel. Many of the people that were going to reject him, that were rejecting him, will be cast out into outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I lost it. Y'all don't need it. This Gentile's coming is a huge hint. For the believer, for the Jewish follower that understood their Bibles, this should have been another flashlight screaming at them that Jesus explained the influx of Gentiles at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom was another hint that Jesus had insider information. He was, in fact, the Messiah for the Jews. Now, why? Why is there proof of that? I changed the reading right before uh, the Old Testament reading was read. Go to Isaiah 53 again. Go to Isaiah 53. I changed it, and I wanted to include the last three verses of Isaiah 52, right? Why? Well, y'all know the chapter titles weren't in the Bible back when it was written. They didn't say, oh, Isaiah, Isaiah's writing along. Oh, I think I'll start chapter 53 now. 53! They weren't there, Okay. Actually, the break should be back in Isaiah 52. 
52. The last three verses are part of the servant song. And I want you to look at this. And remember that Matthew refers to a part later on. But in Isaiah 52, he states, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance will be marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Hmm. Thus he will sprinkle how many nations? Many nations. Many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Boy, the humility of the centurions just looks a lot like that, doesn't it? For what had not been told to them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Oh, folks, look at this. Jesus, the suffering servant, was going to provide another element of the provision is that many nations, many people groups... Many will come to him. He will sprinkle many. Every tribe, tongue, and nation of people. What a glorious truth. He would be the one who would atone, not for just his people, but for many nations. Many people. And Jesus was fulfilling this. And this glimpse of the centurion coming beforehand to get healed was what? A glimpse of what the work was going to do. A brief preview. A wonderful truth. That eventually we would all, who believe in Christ, trust in Him, would be a part of the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Also, the rejection of His own people is most likely in view. In 53, 1-3, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the ark. That's in, in, in when it says in Matthew 8, 12. Jesus said, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out of the ark into darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus clearly is pointing to the fact that his own people are going to reject him. But Isaiah 52 and 53 point to the same idea. They imply it. We despise him. Many of the sons of the kingdom were going to despise Jesus and they'd be judged with this partial hardening that's happening presently. And other prophecies talk about it, right? The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. He was rejected by the builders. That is, his own people rejected him. Beloved Jesus, however, is worthy of all of our trust and all of our obedience. He is the one we're committed to. So this whole passage and all these events are pointing to who? Christ Jesus. He's the one. He's the one we trust in. Like the centurion friends. We must think, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof. We're not even worthy to even have Jesus visit our homes. We're like the lady that said to Jesus, the Gentile woman, but don't even the dogs get the crumbs? I'm the dog. How about you? I'm the unworthy one. How about you? 
I'm not a Jewish man. But God, but God sent his son into the world to die for sinners like us and that he would sprinkle clean all people who come to him in faith and trust. And one day we will be healed who trust in him. We will have new bodies. We will enjoy him in the kingdom. I can't wait. How about you guys? Watch the news. Read the news. See the pain. See the arguing. See the bickering. See the angry people. See all the death. See all the things. And I don't know about you. I know this is not the kingdom. It's not. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back. It's going to be a great day. So what do we do while we're here in this cursed planet? What do we do? We do exactly what those did in this passage. We trust Him. Lord, if you are able... Or you, Lord, you are able, if you are willing, you can heal me. Lord, just speak, and it will be done even from a distance. Lord, here's my children. I can't save them. Please save them. We trust him. He's king, and we are his servants. Now we get to worship him. We get to worship the one who died in our place. We get to honor him as we take the Lord's Supper. Don't take this half-hearted, please. Seek the Lord. Everyone needs to come to the Lord's table. Everybody should repent and believe and trust in Christ. Everybody should embrace the love of Christ. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have repented and believed in him, enjoy the Lord's Supper because it is the time where we get to reflect on what Christ did for us. This is for you. Enjoy him. Trust him. Let's take some time and pray and seek the Lord. And men, if you'll come forward and sit on the front pew here as we get ready to pass this out, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness and your glory towards us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us now as we reflect on Christ's death for us, that we will honor you, that we will worship you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that he died in our place and that we have promise of hope and glory with you. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to walk with you and trust you all the days of our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.